Thank you, Ben. Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful song. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you, other musicians and singers. Beautiful singing this morning. Turn with me to John chapter 5. We're going through the Gospel of John, verse by verse. We're in chapter 5 now. Uh, the subtitle, Journey of Faith. This is a journey of faith for all of us. God promises to strengthen our faith as we go through the book of John. And so we're going through that together. Now the setting for today is that a man has been healed. He was an invalid for 38 years and Jesus healed him with his word. And uh, the Pharisees, instead of rejoicing over it, they were critical of Jesus for working on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus never broke the Sabbath, but he did intentionally break the rules of man surrounding the Sabbath. And he did so here, and he would do so many times. He did it here, it's obvious, and I think other times as well, to, to draw the crowd so that he could explain himself. And here is one of those great passages where Jesus explains his own, his own deity, uh, who he is his equality with God the Father and so forth. And uh, uh, so it's in that setting Jesus preaches this sermon. We're going to look at the second half of that sermon. Uh, pick up just one verse in verse uh, uh, 16 of chapter 5. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, that is kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but uh, he also, uh, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Again, I remind you, the Jews did not use the term father often for God. If they did, they used it in a national setting, that he was God of the, uh, the father of the nation of Israel. They, they may say, uh, our father, but they would never say, my father, in a personal way. And they knew that Jesus was claiming equality with the father here. And so he was. So he elaborates on that in the, in the next, uh, starting now this sermon. And we come to the middle way of the sermon, so let's pick that up in verse 30. I can of mine own self do nothing. He, he's already explained his unity with the Father. What the Father does, he does. What he does, the Father does. They do it together. Uh, he said, as I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Now that's the last of this first section which speaks of Jesus' equality with God the Father. Now he begins this second section that we're going to look at today. And the second section is about witnesses, people who witness to who Jesus is, his equality with the Father. Verse 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Father, thank you for our time together for the beautiful singing. Speak to us now. Teach us. May we be open to hear and to learn your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the world's greatest classical scholars, also an expert in languages, Dr. 
E.V. Rue was asked to translate the works of, of um, Homer into English. And so he did so. He translated the Odyssey and the Iliad into modern English for a company, uh, Penguin Classic Series. They were so pleased with his scholarship and translation that they asked him to translate the four Gospels into modern-day English. He was 60 years old at the time, and he was an agnostic. He had been an agnostic all of his life. And, uh, but they asked him to translate the Gospels. His son said when he heard what they had asked him to do, he said this, and I'm quoting now, it is going to be interesting to see what Father will make of the four Gospels. It will be even more interesting to see what the four Gospels make of Father. <laughs> he didn't have to wait too long. About one year into his project of translating the Gospels, Dr. Rue, the agnostic, became Dr. Rue, a follower of Christ. He had trusted Christ as Savior. He, as one writer said, he was not only saved, he was marvelously saved. He had become a committed Christian, a serving Christian, and uh, a verbal Christian. He joined the church and followed Christ. Hebrews would tell us the word is quick, alive, and powerful. That it, it, it reaches deep into the places of our soul and heart. And does its work. And so it was with Dr. Rue. But the word doesn't have the same effect on all people. Some people like Dr. Rue who looks at the gospels with an open mind. Sees the truth and comes to Christ. Others. Who are. Look at the word. Do not have that effect. Jesus is preaching to a group of people that are in that category in this passage. He's preaching to Pharisees, Sadducees. He's the priest and, and maybe even high, uh, the great priest and, uh, and the Sanhedrin, at least a portion of the Sanhedrin. He's preaching to people who knew the Bible better than anyone in that day. They had the doctorate degrees. They had the seminary degrees. And their doctorates were not in some random subject. They had doctrinal degrees in, in theology. They spent their whole lives studying the Old Testament. And yet instead of it having the effect that it should have had, so that when the Messiah finally came, they would have rejoiced in His coming, they rejected Him. Why is that? It's a probing question. Why is that? This lesson comes first to the Pharisees and the Jews, but also to us. It's a question we should ask ourselves. Are we allowing the Word to do its work in our hearts.
We're going to come back to that fault in just a moment. Let's pick up our text now in verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Jesus is taking the attitude of the people whom he is speaking to. Because in in Deuteronomy, the Bible says you have to have two or three witnesses for something to be true. And so Jesus knew that these people would not believe him if he just gave witness of himself. He needed two or three witnesses in order for them to believe him. The word witness is a a key word in the gospel of of, uh, John, sometimes translated testimony. And, uh, but it's used 47 times there and 136 times in all of the New Testament. And so he, he, Jesus, you'll see this word used over and over again in this passage as we read through it. So Jesus is going to name some witnesses to who he is. Look back at your screen for a moment. Let me give you those quickly and then we'll see them as we go through verse by verse. Witnesses who testify to the identity of Christ. And what is that identity? That he is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. That he is the Son of God, the Son of Man. That he is the Redeemer. And as the uh, Samaritans would say, he's the Savior of the world. And, And then with a great emphasis on the fact that he is God in human flesh. That's the theme of John's Gospel. So here are the ones that are going to bear witness concerning Christ. First, John the Baptist. Then, Jesus' works, including his miracles and also his teachings and so forth, his works. And then, the Father. And then, the Word itself. These four are going to bear witness. Jesus speaks concerning them in this passage. Now, look at verse 32. And uh, there is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. In the Greek, there's two words for another that's used commonly in the New Testament. One of them means another of of something. It can be similar. It can be something different. You might translate it another of a different kind. Like if you, you had an apple, an orange, you were comparing the two. Uh, you had one fruit, and then somebody gives you the, the other fruit. You have another. You have another piece of fruit. But the other word is alos in the Greek. It means one of the exact same kind. You couldn't say that about an apple and an orange. You would have to say it about an apple and an apple, or an orange and an orange that was identical as far as you could tell. And uh, so that's the Greek word that's used here of another. So think about that. When Jesus says, there is another that beareth witness of me. He's not talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not another compared to Jesus. He can only be speaking here of God the Father. It could be God the Holy Spirit. He uses this exact word again in John 14 when he says the Holy Spirit is another comforter like unto me. Uh, Another, uh, alos, again means one of the exact same kind. That's a statement to the deity of the Holy Spirit. 
But the Holy Spirit doesn't, is not the subject here in this passage. It's the Father. The Father and the Son together. And so when he uses this term, alos, another, he's referring to the Father. Now he's going to build on that idea in just a moment. But then he'll come back to it. So in this first half of this sermon, Jesus speaks about his identity with the Father, his equality with the Father. He's equal to the Father in, in his person, in his power, in his sovereignty. He's equal to the Father in his being the source of life, in judgment, in resurrection. We saw all those things last week. And, uh, and now he speaks of these witnesses that testify to this great truth. Two key verses in this passage. One is in verse 24. If you back up a little bit. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath. Present tense, right now, you have, already have, everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And then one other. Notice the last part of verse 34. Jesus says, uh, he is saying these things. I say this, that ye might be saved. And so these are key verses. Jesus is speaking to these people in a, in a way that aggravates them, frustrates them, angers them. They already hate him. But he's speaking these things, not to be mean. He's speaking these things so that some of them might be saved. And so he speaks then of the Father. Uh, being a witness, but he will come back to that. So in verse 33 now, he speaks of John as a witness. Notice that, verse 33. You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. Jesus is speaking in a way that hopefully these Jewish leaders would come to him as Savior and be saved. Two interesting things in, in that verse 34. The word I is emphatic. The word ye or you, as we would say, you is emphatic. And so we might read it something like this. But I, even, even me, even I, are saying these things, I say that ye, you, even you, yes, you, might be saved. That you, these ones that wanted to crucify him, and a year and a half later they would crucify him, these that hate him, it is his great desire. Yes, you, he says, I want you to be saved. God wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Jesus wanted these his enemies to be saved. And then he says about John, verse 35, he was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. <laughs> Remember John said in chapter 1 that he was not the light, Jesus was the light. He came to bear record of the light or bear witness of the light. Jesus is the light, but John was a light. He was a light burning uh, and a burning. And for a long time there was revival in the land. People were coming to him in great numbers. 
And eventually, uh, the, the anticipation of the coming Messiah was building. And eventually, John announced who it was. It was Jesus, this poor carpenter from Nazareth. And John bare record of that. And said he was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Just in John so far, we've seen John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, call him the Son of God, and, uh, and call him the Messiah. And so John bare record. Now at this point in time, John was in prison already. And uh, eventually he would have his head cut off, executed. John uh, was arrested in Mark, uh, in Luke 4, and then he was executed in, Luke, in Matthew 14. And uh, this was somewhere in that middle section while John is in prison. People lost their interest, though, and went back to their regular activities. And as a whole, the nation rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They rejected John's witness. Now, this would have, this would have furiated the, the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees because though they may have they rejoiced in John to start with, now they uh, want to be rid of him as they would see him as a troublemaker. But uh, verse 35 says, But I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me so he says greater than John are, are the deeds that I do the, the word works there is not a word that can be translated necessarily as miracles though it would include the idea of miracles. All that Jesus did. This is a very inclusive word. So it included his miracles. His miracles spoke of who he was. I mean, he touched, he spoke the word, and a 38-year man who had been an invalid for 38 years walked and was well and healthy right in front of, right in front of the people he's speaking to. The fact is that it is possible the man he healed is right here in this crowd. Uh, because all of this is taking place pretty close together. He's probably listening to Jesus. Can you imagine? Because he, he didn't even know who Jesus was. Can you imagine as he heard Jesus say, I am equal to the Father in my person and in my honor and in, sovereign, in my sovereignty and power. Boy, that man's mind must have been whirling. And so... It was the miracles, but not just the miracles, the other works. His compassion for the, for the hurting. Uh, the, the Pharisees had no compassion for this invalid man. They didn't rejoice even for a second that he was healed. They were only angry that it happened on the Sabbath. His works, his sinless life, all of that speak of who he is the works the Father gave me to do. Of course, it hasn't happened yet, but before his ministry is over, he will raise three people from the dead, showing that he is the source of life itself. And then, uh, notice the next verse, verse 37. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. 
Now he says, the Father is one of the witnesses. He has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Jesus, of course, had and did and was in constant fellowship with and hearing the Father's voice. So how did the Father bear record? Well, maybe in the miracles, but the miracles are already implied, are included, not implied, stated, but included in the word works. So he wouldn't be repeating it. So how does the Father testify of Jesus? Well, one way was at his baptism, which was about a year and a half ago now, at this chronological point. The Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Don't you know John the Baptist, every time he preached, he preached on that subject. He threw that in somewhere every time he preached for the next year, year and a half. They had heard it, that is the Pharisees. They had heard that the Father had spoken from heaven and bear witness that Jesus was his Son. Actually, the Father would speak from heaven two more times. One time there in the temple courtyard and one time on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so that's one way. That would be enough. But the Father also speaks to us in our hearts, in our souls. In the very next chapter of John, John chapter 6, we'll be in next week. Jesus says that no one can come to him unless the Father draw him. Look back at your screen for a moment. Let me show you that verse. No man can come to me, Jesus said, except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. There is an inner witness of the Father where the Father says, whispers to the soul of someone with an open heart, that's my son. He's, he's the one. Trust him. Trust him. He's the one. There's the inner witness. Another place we see that is in uh, Matthew eleven twenty-five 25 and 6. That time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hath revealed them unto babes. It's the people who are with open hearts. It's the people who are humble and hungry to hear from God and learn from God. They're the ones who hear and learn. The ones who are already wise and prudent. That's the way the Pharisees saw themselves and the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. They saw themselves as needing no one else's input. They had all the information they needed. They were wise and prudent. But the Father hath revealed His truths of who His Son is and the other truths unto babes. So let's remain babes so we can continue to learn and to grow. And so in those two ways, the Father had born testimony to who Jesus is. And then look at verse 38. And ye have not his word abiding in you for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. Now remember he's speaking to the scholars. He's speaking to the upper cr crust of the religious crowd. And not only were they educated in religious things, these were the most educated men of their day. 
And they studied the Word, the Old Testament, constantly. I mean constantly. And he said, you don't have the Word abiding in you. Wow, what an insult. They must have, they must have taken that as a slap in their face. And then he says to them, search the Scriptures. Now that can be an imperative, a command. Search the Scriptures. But more likely, it is a statement instead of a command. Search the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures. He's saying they are the ones who search the Scriptures all the time. The word search means to diligently seek and dig and study with a diligent mind. He says, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that you might have life. Wow. We're going to come back to that verse as we close those two. Then he says, and ye will not, uh, verse 41, I receive not honor from men, but I know you. Here, here again is that, that word know. Jesus knows us. He knows our hearts. He sees past our veneers. And so he did with them. He knew them. I know you that you have not the love of God in you. Now this is a terrible slap in the face. The Jews would quote the Shema uh, every day. Which said we're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. Jesus says you're the leaders. You're the scholars. You do not have. I know this. I can see into your heart and soul. You do not have the love of God in you. Wow. It's hard to believe they were speechless during this sermon. They were probably speechless because they were so angry and caught off guard they had no words to say. Then he says, verse 43, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will you receive. If you don't, if you don't accept the truth, you leave yourself open to fall for to fall for error for the false Josephus would tell us that from this time on there was a stream of false Christ that deceived thousands of people Josephus of course being a first century historian Dr. John Phillips said this was from this time on was the first time in the history of Israel when they had messiahs back to back. That is, after they have rejected Christ. And Jesus told them that would happen. Eventually, they will accept, that is, the nation of Israel will accept the great, the great deceiver, the Antichrist, uh, in during the tribulation period. And so uh, let's go back to our text. Verse 40 halfway through. Um, he says. Verse 43. I'm sorry. Uh, if another shall come in his own name. Him will you receive. How can you believe. Which receive honor one of another. And seek not the honor. That cometh from God only. You know, their study of the Scripture was so they could be smarter than the next guy. Uh, so they could win debates. 
so they could, so they could set in honored places uh, in the synagogues and have everybody look up to them. That's what they saw. That was their purpose and their detailed study of Scripture. Jesus said he sought only to please the Father. And he, they did not seek the honor that comes from God only. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Moses and the law. Even the Old Testament said the law was a witness against the nation of Israel. New Testament explains it even more. The purpose of the law is so that when we see the law and we try to live up to it, we cannot live up to it. We see our own failure. We see our own sinfulness. And therefore, it brings us to Christ. That was the purpose of the law. But Moses, whom they're trusting in, they're trusting the fact that they have memorized a lot of Scripture. And uh, because of that, they're going to make it to heaven. The scriptures, of course, of Moses, the, the Torah. But Jesus says, they seek not the honor that comes from God only. Now, in this next verse, 45, he says, Moses is going to accuse you. We've already seen Jesus said, all judgment's been given to him. So Moses isn't going to be the judge. Jesus is the judge. Moses is the prosecuting attorney. He's the one who will say, they tried to keep the law God gave me, but they failed. And they should have seen they needed a Savior. And then, verse 46, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how will you believe my words? What a, what a cut across the heart of the Pharisees was this sermon by Jesus. Let's go back now and close with these verses 30, 30, uh, 39 and 40. He says to them, search the scriptures. Again, means diligently search. Implying they're already doing that. You, you are searching the scriptures. And in them you think you have eternal life. You know, in some lives the word of God has a marvelous effect. In other lives, they read it, they hear it, they reject it. It's hard to reconcile those Two. Warren Wearsby, who was on the radio, radio Bible class for many, many years, also pastor at Moody, Moody Church. Dr. Warren Wearsby said in his years on the radio, he was always surprised and shocked by people who not only disagreed with him, of course there are people who would disagree on doctrinal stance and statement or even about details of Scripture. But he says he was always shocked by those whom he could not even quote because of the profanity they would use and uh, how angry they were, filled with anger and hatred towards him because he disagreed with them. 
They were studying the Bible themselves. And yet the Bible had produced an angry spirit instead of a humble spirit. He says now concerning that, and I quote now from Dr. Warren Wiersbe, It is unfortunate when our study of the Bible makes us arrogant and militant instead of humble and anxious to serve others. Even those serving even those who disagree with us. The mark of true Bible study is not knowledge that puffs up, but love that builds up. End of quote. Let's let the Word of God have its effect. Let's have an open heart for the Word of God. Let me illustrate the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, in this way. Suppose you were in the uh, Smoky Mountains. The, uh, Karen and I have been to the Rockies, too, one time. And they were beautiful, snow-capped and so forth, beautiful. But they were, they were so rocky. <laughs> and uh, we were used to the mountains here that are full of trees, you know, beautiful things. So I think they're more beautiful here. Suppose we were up in the mountains and we were in, the high, we were in a high-rise hotel and on a, on a high peak of one of the mountains. And suppose we were on the top floor and there was a huge window there. And we were looking out this huge window and it looked like you could see the whole world, you know. You could see a river down below and you could see a waterfall on, on uh, further up in that river. You could see the trees and the rolling hills below you. You could see mountains. And then in the, behind those mountains, more mountains. And then more mountains until they look blue like the Blue Ridge. And they, they, those further mountains look blue and beautiful. On one side, maybe there's some clouds hanging in the mountains. Hence the name Smoky Mountains. And then, and then you can see beyond the mountains as far as the eye can see the blue sky with some beautiful clouds and suppose you're up there enjoying the beauty of God's creation and enjoying the Creator and you're worshiping and thinking about that and somebody tugs on your shirt and you you look around and there's a little man there and the little man said this is awesome isn't it And you say oh yeah it's awesome then he says yeah this this window is awesome and then he, he, he begins to talk about the panes in the window. The panes are triple lined and they're tinted just right. And, and he begins to talk about the window. And then he pulls out his pocket knife and he scrapes the bottom of the corner of the window and says, I'm going to have this chemically analyzed. If you'll give me your name and, and telephone number, I'll call you with the results. And then he scrapes a little bit off of the steel frame because he's enamored with that steel frame and he, he scrapes a little of the steel to have it analyzed and uh, he, is, he is overwhelmed by that window. You and I would think that would be a little strange. The Word of God is the window through which you and I can see who God is. To see who Christ is. To see the beauty of Christ, His beautiful life, and, and His humility, His kindness, His compassion, the beauty of His cross, 
The beauty of the resurrection, the beauty of Him now as risen Savior, who is our Lord, our Master, who sits on the right hand of God the Father, who is our Shepherd, taking care of us every day. We see all that beauty through the window of the Word of God. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were just taken up with the window instead of what you could see through the window. Now, that, uh, that little analogy breaks down because in the illustration I gave, the little man was more interested in something that was man-made, the window, instead of what God made. But in reality, the Bible that is the window is also God-made. It is not man-made. It is God-made, God-inspired. So we should appreciate the window. We should love the window. We should honor the window. But it shouldn't stop there. Loving and honoring the window, we should look through the window and see what we're supposed to see. That is who God is and the beauty of Christ. It's possible that even today we can get caught up with the window instead of the purpose for which God inspired this window. That's what was happening to the Pharisees. You don't have to be a great scholar. These people were great scholars. You don't have to be a great scholar to know the Word and to let the Word really work in you. D.L. Moody... D.L. Moody shook two continents in great revival meetings, built homes for boys and girls who needed a place to live. He, he built the Moody Bible Church, at that time one of the greatest churches in the world, in the Moody Bible Institute. He did all of that. He had a fifth grade education. Just a fifth grade education. But he loved the Word. And he looked through the Word and, and come to know God. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dr. Harry Ironside is said to be by many the greatest American Bible teacher in American history. He pastored at Moody Church as well later, much later. And... Uh, he was a great pastor and a great Bible teacher. He never went one day in a classroom past the eighth grade. Not one day. But he studied the Word. And the Word changed him. And he was open to the Word. He looked beyond the window, through the window, and saw what God wanted him to see. You say, well, you called him Dr. Harry Ironside. His doctorate degree was an honorary degree given to him later in life. What about Dr. Billy Graham? Dr. Billy Graham graduated from Wheaton College with a bachelor's degree in anthropology. He never went to seminary. Never graduated from a Bible college with a Bible degree. His degree is in anthropology. But he loved the Word. 
And he studied the Word. And he saw through that window of the Word who God was. And he preached to more people than anybody in the history of mankind. Preaching the gospel of Christ with many, many coming to Christ. I want to say to you, every now and then I hear somebody say, Well, I never went to Bible college. I can't do this. You can. Get into the Word. Love the Word. Let the Word do its work in your heart. Look beyond just the window and see what God wants us to see. Now, I've got a little clip that lasts two and a half minutes is all. I want to point out that you will see in this clip the face of the man whom Jesus healed. Scripture doesn't say he was there, but I think it's a very good possibility. I think it's very likely he was there listening. He wanted to find out who this person was who healed him. And so you, you'll see his face in this little clip. Again, it seems as though this person playing the role of Jesus is a little aggravated and frustrated. Jesus had every right uh, for righteous indignation, but this seems a little more like human frustration. But then again, who in the world could act out the person of Christ uh, with... Uh, uh, with great skill. So let's uh, watch this. It m may have happened something like this. I can do nothing on my own authority. I judge only as God tells me, so my judgment is right. Because I am not trying to do what I want, but only what he who sent me wants. If I testify on my own behalf, what I say is not to be accepted as real proof, but there is someone else who testifies on my behalf. And I know that what he says about me is true. John is the one to whom you sent your messengers. And he spoke on behalf of the truth. It is not that I must have a human witness. I say this only in order that you may be saved. John was like a lamp, burning and shining. And you were willing for a while to enjoy his light. But I have a witness on my behalf, which is even greater than the witness that John gave. What I do... That is the deeds my father gave me to do. These speak on my behalf and show that the father has sent me. And the father who sent me also testifies on my behalf. You have never heard his voice or seen his face. And you do not keep his message in your hearts, for you do not believe in the one whom he sent. You study the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. And these very scriptures speak about me. Yet you are not willing to come to me in order to have life. I am not looking for human praise, but I know what kind of people you are. And I know that you have no love for God in your hearts. I have come with my Father's authority, but you have not received me. When, however, someone comes with his own authority, you will receive him. You like to receive praise from one another, but you do not try to win praise from the one who alone is God. How then can you believe me? Do not think, however, that I am the one who will accuse you to my father. Moses, in whom you have put your hope, is the very one who will accuse you. If you had really believed Moses, you would have believed me, because he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how can you believe what I say? Wow, what a moment that was. I think, I'm only speculating, I think the guy who was healed must have trusted Christ as Savior. It just makes sense, doesn't it? And uh, 
we do know that in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7 we're told that uh, a great number of the uh, chief priests became obedient to the faith that is they came to Christ maybe some of the ones that listened to him here actually came to him later and uh, we know of course that uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were two of the Sanhedrin that uh, came to Christ in closing let me just remind you love the window be in awe of the window it is inspired by God breathe the very breath of God himself but don't stop there look through the window and see the God who wrote it love the word of God yes but love the God of the word see the beauty of Christ and in doing so surrender to his lordship and his controlling of your life so he can pour his beauty into you and you can bear his image and he can live that life through you that beautiful life